episode four of Frenemies. I'm Austin Green, joined as always by my co-host and In-N-Out Colorado line survivor, Joel Asher. Uh, Joel was sitting in line, was it the Aurora? It was the Aurora one, right? It was actually, it was the Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs one. My mistake, the Colorado Springs one. And um, Joel, what what happened? Just give us your uh, give us your on the ground report. Yeah, so this this past Friday was the grand opening of In and Out in the state of Colorado. Uh, never had one before, and there are two that opened up at the same time. I believe it was at 10 a.m. the morning of this past Friday, and uh, there was one in Colorado Springs and one in Aurora. I happened to be in Colorado Springs and. It was about 11 o'clock, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm craving an In-N-Out burger, and I know it's the grand opening. and So I'm, I'm going to head over there and uh, see what the scene looks like. So the freeway exit is called InterQuest to get off to go to this In-N-Out. And the In-N-Out is quite a ways off InterQuest. I got to the first light off of the freeway exit, and it's already jam-packed in the right lane that heads to the In-N-Out. I sit in this line, Austin, for two hours. Two hours with with minimal movement, inching our way up. We get to the part where you can see the in and out and you're going to turn right. And I thought we'd naturally turn right and then the in and out's right there on the left. So I thought we'd, we were close to getting at least into the parking lot after a nice two-hour wait. But then I see the cop cars are there motioning us up to Federal Boulevard, which is past the in and out And I'm like, what is happening here? So we drive up to Federal and we're instructed to take a left there and... We take that left, and there's a line of cars looping for about a mile. At that point, I was like, what are we going to do? I mean, I want in and out but it's, it's not, it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen in, in the daylight, at least. I could have stayed there till night. So, unfortunately, I gave up, and I, I went over to Chick-fil-A. But I, I read later that lines reached as, as high as 14 hours in Aurora and 12 hours in Colorado Springs just to... Wild day, first ever in and out, and everyone was there. Some people even camped out since Tuesday, <laughs> waiting for the in-person line. It was just, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced, Austin. Sounds to me like you just weren't dedicated enough. I don't know. I love in and out growing up a California native, and uh, I'm just looking forward to getting back in California for Christmas and having a much shorter line and getting that double-double, because I don't know when the lines will, will go down here in Colorado. Well, uh, guess what I did on Saturday? <laughs> What'd you do? I decided that I did want an In-N-Out double-double, and I went to my local In-N-Out, and I sat in line for, I think, maybe 10 minutes, tops. Uh, I hate you. Uh, I hate you. <laughs> maybe, probably shorter than that. I rolled right up to the guy taking my order, and within, uh, within 10 minutes, within the time it takes to... Uh, listen to the opening segment of our podcast <laughs> i had a double double in my lap oh see it's not it's not just sports we have beef in it's it's the <laughs> in and out you know you're you're in and out right now i'd say is better than mine unfortunately but i'm hoping mine can step up their game get a little quicker service and maybe the rivalry will even out a bit yeah there you go hey i just i just had to flex a little bit um <laughs> I also have to flex because the Los Angeles Lakers, by all accounts, won free agency less than a month or about a month after they won the NBA title. Our last uh, podcast, we kind of previewed 
what the Lakers would do. I've said a couple times that uh, I believe the Lakers did have to make a move and that they couldn't really run it back with the same team just due to the short break that we had in between uh, the end of last season and the beginning of the next one, which is uh, going to happen around Christmas. So apparently, I like to think that Rob Polinka heard me because the Lakers went out and, well, we talked about the Dennis Schroeder trade last week. But they went out, and basically the way I see it is they took three role players, four if you want to include Rajon Rondo, who Dennis Schroeder effectively replaced, and basically upgraded from each of them in significant ways. Uh, In Danny Green, who they traded for Schroeder, they got Wes Matthews, who essentially provides the same sort of three-point shooting and defense, except arguably better than Danny Green. He was better... uh, from three and just shooting percentage overall last year. In replacing Dwight Howard, they got Montrez Harrell, the reigning sixth man of the year, who averaged, I believe, 18 points off the bench. Huge energy guy, huge huge glue guy, huge factor for the Clippers. And then when it looked like, okay, this is still a pretty good squad. We we don't have too many holes. Rob Polinka went out and recruited Marc Gasol to come back to the Lakers, the team that drafted him and traded him for his brother on a really sweet deal to replace JaVale McGee. Now, JaVale and Dwight especially were an excellent center tandem, but JaVale is pretty much a one-trick pony in terms of he is there as a rim protector and a lob threat. He does not have the passing or shooting ability of Gasol. And just having that in a starting five, when you already have LeBron James and Anthony Davis out there to rely on for offense, is huge. I think a big factor in terms of what the Lakers tried to do this offseason was last year their identity was we are going to we are going to beat other teams up on defense and on offense we are going to trust one or both of our two superstars to make something happen. This year they clearly want to make the load lighter for LeBron James and Anthony Davis on offense. And so you go out and you get uh, the reigning six man of the year in Harrell. You get the runner-up to that award in Schroeder. Um, and then you get Gasol, who can provide more on offense than JaVale McGee ever could. Um, I, I love JaVale. I'm thankful for his time here. He did amazing, amazing work. Um, but just having Mark Gasol, not only the emotions of having a Gasol back in purple and gold, which there are many, uh, I would still love in my heart of hearts to see the Lakers sign Powell to a minimum. <laughs> uh, have him run it back one one last time. He doesn't have to play. He can just sit on the end of the bench, but just having him in purple and gold would be great. But what Polinka did in terms of basically swapping out those four role players who were all important role players last year and upgrading each of them means that the the team that won... Oh, he also re-signed Contavious uh, Caldwell-Pope and Marquise Morris, which shouldn't be overlooked. Right, right. Um, two huge key factors in the Lakers' playoff run last year. Uh, especially in terms of what they could do shooting the three ball. Morris was especially huge um, in the Houston series. He also allowed Kuzma to space more to the wing where he's more comfortable at. Um, Huge midseason acquisition. Um, He's going to run it back with the Lakers as well. Um, But what the Lakers have done basically, kind of reassembling and retooling their, their roster, is basically said, we don't have to rely so heavily on LeBron and AD. We have... We have a second ball handler intruder. We have a huge pick and roll threat who can go in down low and get his own buckets and Harrell. Um, we've replaced Danny yeah. Green's shooting. 
with someone who probably will who probably could shoot better and instead of kind of having JaVale just there in the beginning of the first and third quarters as just kind of a lob threat or an offensive rebounder, we have a guy who we can actually run plays through and trust to make the right passes and also space out to the three-point line and give uh, LeBron or AD more space to work down low in Marc Gasol. So just an excellent, excellent job by Rob Palenka. The Lakers enter next season, I think, as the consensus definitive favorites to repeat as NBA champions. Uh, and basically, you know, Joel, this is what happens when uh, your GM is not Danny Ainge uh, <laughs> and doesn't actually doesn't talk about making big trades, but actually actually makes them happen. Hey, uh, hey, it, hey. Feel, it feels really nice. I know you don't know what that feels like, but it, it feels really nice. Hey, Danny Ainge, hey, he made some decent moves this this offseason as well. You know, we lost a few key pieces, but yeah, the Lakers, they did they did make some great moves. I have to say as much as I hate to admit it, they they are and should be the favorite to repeat as champions this year. Rob Palinka really did a great job going out there and really kind of changing the dynamic of the team. As you said, it was more defensive last year, but this year they really have a lot of threats. I mean, Mark Gasol, the amount of points he created there on the Raptors in that title run and just down low, he can create. Wes Matthews, you got Harrell, who absolutely rolls to the basket. I mean, you saw it begrudgingly with the Clippers. Is he, uh, he had some good games against the Lakers, so I'm sure you're happy to have him on the right side of that now when you take on the Clippers I'm sure he'll have an extra spark in that game but yeah Lakers excellent job in free agency um some big signings I think the the most underrated one of that is going to be Marcus Gasol I think Marcus Gasol is going to have a bigger impact than, yeah. than anyone realizes that guy he can shoot the ball and he can play down low I mean the guys the guy's a huge impact player obviously he's getting into his later years in the league but the guy can still make a huge impact on that Lakers squad. Again, you know, no offense to JaVale, because JaVale spent three years in purple and gold, and he was awesome. He did what he he did what he was brought in to do. But in terms of upgrade over your predecessor, Gasol is such an upgrade over JaVale on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the defensive end, he does allow uh, Anthony Davis to play the four more, which is where Davis is more comfortable um, and avoid wear and tear on his body. Like you said, Gasol is getting up there, but in terms of what he can still do is a huge, huge upgrade over what JaVale brought to the table, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, definitely. And the Lakers, Lakers aren't the only team who brought in a big. As I addressed on our last podcast, I was talking with you and Harrison Fagan about how the Celtics needed to bring in a big man. Well, they did. They brought in Tristan Thompson on a two-year, $19 million deal. Over from the Cleveland Cavaliers, he spent his previous nine seasons in the league there. Drafted by Cleveland, played alongside LeBron, won a championship with him. He brings a veteran savvy um, that, you know, quite frankly, we 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 like to have on the team and, and something we need on the team. And he does bring a bit more speed than than the likes of Enos Cantor, who was ultimately shipped out as I suspected he would be. He headed to Portland Trailblazers. So happy to see that Danny Ainge did make some moves. He didn't just talk about them, you know, as as you. Uh, as you said, he sometimes does. So he was able to bring in Whoa. Tristan Thompson. and uh, So, yeah, we, we did address that big need. Um, there weren't a ton of amazing bigs out on the market, so it was good to see that we got, I'd, I'd say, one of the one of the top ones out there. And uh, he got a lot of playoff experience, Tristan Thompson does, obviously. Um, thanks to LeBron. Thanks to LeBron, yes. But nonetheless, he still does have that playoff experience, <laughs> and he actually was one of the lone bright spots on the Cleveland Cavaliers last year, actually. He averaged sure, yeah. a career he, high he in points. He remained solid after LeBron left. He remained solid. He averaged a career high of 12 points a game and I think about nine yeah, nine rebounds a game. And so so we were able to pick up a big in him. And all I have to say about 
Gordon Hayward is what is Michael Jordan thinking? I <laughs> I love the guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Gordon Hayward, no longer on the Celtics, he's a member of the Charlotte Hornets on a over $100 million yeah. deal. And I love the guy. Oh my gosh. But I, I said to my friend who's who's a Celtics fan, when when he declined his option for $34 million on the Celtics, I said, what is he thinking? He's going to get half of that anywhere else. Well, <laughs> I was sorely wrong. I was mistaken on that one. A lot of people were wrong. So, Gordon Hayward over on the Hornets, Michael Jordan, uh, he must love the guy or something. Because yeah. he paid the big bucks for Gordon Hayward. It's it was, it was, it was, it was sad to see him leave, I will say that, because I feel like he never really reached his full potential with Boston in his three-year stint there just due to a lot of things out of his control with injuries. Um, I know he was an amazing player and a lot of excitement when he came over from the Utah Jazz, and he did have an impact when he was healthy, definitely. So I'd like to thank Gordon Hayward for his time in Boston. But, yeah, I hope he plays well over in Charlotte. But Michael Jordan really paid a lot for him. Wow. Who knows what Michael Jordan is doing because he has a young core of interesting guards in Lamelo Ball, obviously, and then Devontae Graham and Malik Monk. Mm-hmm as well i just i saw a meme on twitter that said you know someone was someone had called michael jordan out for like his lack of donations to charity or some some weird thing something like (laughs) that even though michael jordan does make a lot of charitable donations um but then said uh yeah we'll explain this and then put like gordon hayward's contract next to it (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's brutal (laughs) so i don't know man um yeah i did say um it must have been a little brutal for you and thinking that he was going to go to the Pacers and thinking that you'd get someone like Miles Turner in return in a sign and trade. But yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, I as much as I like to uh, fault Danny Ainge for once again almost acquiring a good player, I will say I think that this has less to do with him and more to do with Michael Jordan somehow like enamored with Gordon Hayward, like post-injury Gordon Hayward, like not necessarily the same guy from the Jazz. I don't, I, I don't get it. We'll have to see. But uh, uh, you know, Michael Jordan might listen to this and then uh, get sit down for a documentary one day and be like, and I took that personally. And the the Hornets are gonna make an insane playoff run. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe it must be the hair. I don't know. I will say that that guy's got really nice hair and a nice shot and a nice shot to go <laughs> yeah. with it. But yeah, no. Yeah, it's a big risk by Michael Jordan. MJ might have some hair jealousy. That dude's been bald since like the early '90s. He might. Yeah, no. It's a big risk, but yeah, we'll see if it pays off over there in Charlotte. Um, another departure happened for the Celtics. Is backup point guard Brad Wanamaker was shipped over to the Golden State Warriors, but the Celtics replaced his spot on the bench as that backup place with Jeff Teague, a veteran from the Atlanta Hawks. I thought that was a good pickup from Danny Ainge as he was able to bring in a veteran who still has some years left in him, um, a lot of experience and. He, he's been shipped around to several different teams, joined the Hawks midseason last season. I'm looking forward to see what impact he can make. Obviously, Kemba Walker's going to be the starter at point guard, but looking forward to a bit more shot creating from Jeff Teague, Brad Wanamaker. Um, he was kind of hot and cold sometimes. He obviously he did add some good moments with the Celtics um, where he would drop 20 in a game coming off the bench. But yeah, looking forward to that speed and athleticism of Jeff Teague and seeing him play a bigger role off the bench than Brad Wanamaker did in these past few years. Teague, I think, is a fine pickup. He's what, What's nice about him is you won't necessarily have to change the offense too much when he comes in for Kemba. He can do a lot of the same things in terms of uh, create his own shot, uh, make plays for other guys. Uh, I think that he's definitely a little more reliable than Wanamaker. Um, not exactly, you know, not, not with the same sort of speed, maybe a little less athleticism, but um, he'll, he'll 
I mean, he'll be fine in his role. Right, right. And the yeah, the final thing Danny Ainge did, uh, not not quite as many free agency signings as the Lakers did for Boston, but the final thing comes as no surprise to Celtics fans. Jason Tatum signed to the max extension deal. He's obviously a superstar, budding superstar, the face of our franchise, and Boston wants to build the team around him for his the rest of his career. So it's good to see that he's locked down with that max extension and happy to see Jason Tatum back in the green and white. As none of us had a doubt about it, but good to see the ink to paper and he'll be back. Yeah, I mean, you said it. He's the he's the face of the franchise. He's the star you build around. Um, and kind of every move that the Celtics make from here on out is going to be based around, okay, who's the best team we can put around Jason Tatum? Moving on, after uh, we all celebrate a wonderful and hopefully happy and healthy Thanksgiving tomorrow, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are going to square off against the North Carolina Fighting Mac Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, we're kind of at the home stretch now where Notre Dame does appear to have a clear path to the ACC championship game. Preview what you, what you see happening in this game, uh, what you see as potential threats for uh, Notre Dame, and just kind of how you see this playing out. Yeah, so the first initial college football playoff rankings just came out um, Tuesday night, this yesterday. So Notre Dame came in at number two in those rankings, and North Carolina came in a bit higher than I think people expected at number 19. So it is going to be a top 25 matchup there in Chapel Hill, number two versus number 19. And I looked at the game last week against Boston College, calling it a trap game, or I should say two weeks ago, as Notre Dame had a bye this past Saturday. I don't think this one is one of those. I think the Irish is defense is prepared for anybody. They've shown some vulnerability in the past game, and if they are to get upset by the Tar Heels, it is going to be on the arm of Sam Howell. But I'm looking at their past game that the Tar Heels had. They played Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest, they got Sam Hartman back there at quarterback, and he's solid, but they gave up 53 points to Wake Forest. And that defense, that defense can't stop anything. And that's Wake Forest, all right? If you look at Wake Forest statistics, they're not some highly rated offense, not just in the ACC, but in college football. It's not like the Wake Forest Demon Deacons are amazing on offense. (laughs) And so I just look at that, and my, my eyes light up. I see vulnerability, Ian Book, those receivers, Kyron Williams, Sebo Flemister. I see a, a big, big glaring weakness on that Tar Heels team and a spot that Ian Book could really take advantage of. Along with those running backs, obviously, we've got an experienced offensive line. Um, a new center this week will be coming in, a freshman for the Irish, as Jarrett Patterson, the junior center, went down with a season-ending injury at Boston College, unfortunately. But that offensive line, despite having one guy, youth, in the center, um, I expect them to blow holes wide open for Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree and Saborius Flemister to run through. So um, predicting the game, I think the Irish, I think the Irish can pretty much score at will on this defense based on what I've seen from them. It's going to be a matter of can the pass defense stop the Tar Heels? And I think they can because honestly the Tar Heels haven't had an incredible run game. Notre Dame's run defense has proven themselves and we stack the box yeah. and we make sure we stop the run. We haven't really gone against an elite passer other than DJ Uyangalale, who was able to light us up because we were really, I've mentioned it before, we were really keen in on Travis Etienne. But I think the Irish are going to rush for, drop people back, and make sure that Sam Howell doesn't beat us with his arm. Um, I expect the Irish to win by several touchdowns, and I think the path is clear for that rematch with Clemson in the college football playoffs. But, um, yeah, excited for this game on Friday and think the Irish will 
have a lot of explosive plays on offense, and that'll ultimately lead them to the win. Yeah, I mean, Sam Howell is a dynamic passer, as you said. Um, I do think that as long as, you know, Notre Dame has fared obviously very well against kind of, you know, one-dimensional offenses this year in terms of being able to stop that with their defense. I do think they're a little weaker in the secondary, though though they do have some key pieces in the secondary. So I think that, yeah, I think Notre Dame, or excuse me, I think North Carolina um, can maybe get a little something going there. But when it comes to being able to sustain that attack through four quarters, especially when um, it looks like their defense will probably get shredded by Ian Book, it's hard for me to envision uh, North Carolina being the team that knocks out the Irish. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. And Another team who hasn't been knocked out is your USC Trojans. They they won a game by more than a score this past weekend against Utah. How do you feel about that? It's a miracle. I wasn't I I I wasn't depressed midway through the fourth quarter. Is this what like is this what normal football fans feel like? Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, a week after I got on here and said that you know it looks like something's wrong with Caden Slovis. Uh, I worry about his arm. You know, he still had some rickety throws, but he went 24 for 35. Um, his average completion length was set, was a healthy 7.5 yards. Two touchdowns, one interception, 264 yards. Uh, very kind of air raidy stat line. Right. What, what I found was really good is the fact that Brew McCoy has kind of been added as the fourth head, if you will, of this three-headed monster of Tyler Vaughn's, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Drake London. Yeah. Adding Brew in there. Brew, of course, a former five-star. Initially committed to Texas, got homesick, um, came back to USC to stay in Southern California near his family. He had five catches for 66 yards. Um, it's kind of developed into a little more of a deep threat for Kaden, which is key, given the fact that a lot of the other these other dynamic athletic receivers can uh, get some more space opened up for them in the short yardage game. Vavay Malapai also had a big game. He was relied on pretty heavily in this game. I thought we'd see a little more of a kind of balanced running attack. Um, Stephen Carr only saw the field for one carry. Um, Keenan Christian, in fact, which um, had some had some good long runs. It was nice to see him kind of get a little involved, especially in the second half there. Um, but, but this was Malapai's game. He was the clear lead back for this game, um, and he rewarded them with 20 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, best game of the season. On the defensive end, I thought that Todd Orlando called an amazing game, credit where it's due. Um, Really kept the pressure on Utah's rushing attack to the point that um, the the entire team only mustered 111 yards on the ground. Obviously, Utah, we've seen the way Kyle Whittingham likes to play over the years. He's a big... uh, you know, defense and run heavy type of head coach. That's what he wants his calling card to be. Cameron Rising, of course, got uh, hurt early in this game. Hopefully, uh, he'll be okay. I'm not sure what the prognosis is on there. Jake Begley's backup came in, uh, had a decent game, but I thought that where uh, we were really able to win the game and kind of put the game away is just being able to uh, limit Utah's running backs. Uh, I thought Todd Orlando did a great job of calling that, scheming that, so we we weren't going to get beat on the ground. You know, if we we're going to get beat, we we're going to get beat through the air, and ultimately, um, uh, Jake Bentley just wasn't able to do enough in that regard to keep up with us. Be- best overall game of the season, obviously, for uh, for USC. 
Yeah. Only three more games, which is crazy because we've only played three games this season. But uh, yeah. but ultimately, like it does look like we are full steam ahead towards a Pac-12 championship date with Oregon. Yeah. I again, I'm still a little scared of how that of how that's gonna go. Uh, but you know, in terms of cause for hope, because you, if you've listened so far, you have seen how pessimistic I can be about, uh, USC. I, I, I was very impressed. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I have very, ultimately very little to complain about in this game, especially compared to how we looked against Arizona state and Arizona, where we could have easily lost both games at this one. We were fine. We were finally able to. Um, pull away but again just being able to kind of shut down utah's utah's main kind of focal point of offensive attack and kind of let their backup quarterback try to beat us i think todd orlando deserves a lot of props for how he called this game yeah uh and on the offensive end you know the wide receiving core is everything that we all thought would be and more so yeah usc looks good and ultimately like again with after all my doom and gloom over the past couple weeks (laughs) it feels good to say that yeah, definitely. I think what impressed me most was that defense. I mean, we know they've we know that Trojans offense has the weapons Amon Ross Eight Brown, Tyler Vaughn, Drake London, Brew McCoy, as you mentioned. And they've shown that they can score in key moments and they can put points up on the board, but that defense was, was the big was the big question. I think they really came out with a chip on their shoulder against Utah and they really proved that, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna reenact the past two weeks. You know, we we are good defense, we can stop the pass, we can stop the run and they really asserted themselves late in that game where there was some chances for Utah to get back in the game. They really brought the pressure. They were able to sack the quarterback several times um, when he's trying to pass as they're down by double digits. Obviously, you need to pass, so I think it was a great strategy. And uh, the defense, yeah, they played excellent, and that really impressed me because they had been vulnerable the past two weeks, especially through the air. And this week, they, they didn't let that happen. They were stout in the run and, and through the air. So that, that spells success because the Trojans' offense, I mean, you're not going to see too many weeks where they don't put up a lot of points or at least enough points yeah. to win the game, you know, because that offense obviously has so much talent. It's just a question of can the defense hold their opponent to, you know, obviously less points. But, yeah, can the defense assert their will? And they really did against Utah. That's what really impressed me. And just having a defense that can assert its will, um, especially against the run game, is something that we didn't see too much of with Clancy Pendergast. Again, there's still an issue. Jake Bentley did rip off a couple long runs. Um, and the quarterback scrambles, uh, we do an awful job of containing the quarterback, and any sort of dual-threat quarterback is going to absolutely burn us. That said, we were more aggressive under a Todd Orlando defense than we would be under a Clancy Pendergast defense, and I think overall that worked in our favor this week, so that was great to see. We will finish up by talking about something that we haven't covered for uh, really a couple episodes, which is our NFL teams, my NFC West leading Rams that showed out on Monday Night Football against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Joel, I gotta say, it feels amazing to beat Tom Brady. I mean, anytime you play the GOAT, I mean, the guy's won six Super Bowls. He's obviously an incredible player, but yeah, when you go into Tampa Bay and you perform the way that defense did, I mean, it's really incredible to see the only team, heard a lot of analysts talking about how they think the Saints and the Rams, the top two teams in the NFC, the only teams to really stop Tom Brady like that are the Saints and the Rams, and Jalen Ramsey, yeah. I, I can't say enough good things about the way he played on Monday night. He was absolutely a shutdown corner going against Mike Evans, and he, he really made his impact felt in that game, and that whole defense in general. I mean, they shut down Tom Brady, and they, they were able to, I think they were the reason. Obviously, the offense, all credit to them, but that defense really 
was a key reason the Rams won that game and are sitting in first place in the NFC West, that tight race. Two weeks ago, the Rams played the Dolphins in Miami and against Tua Tagovailoa, a rookie quarterback, and a not very talent-rich Dolphins team, uh, the mm. defense especially looked horrible. And kind of every kind of way the defense had looked shaky a few weeks ago, especially in the secondary, um, at the beginning of the season, was kind of exposed. In the two games since then, played the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Bucks, two teams who I think are kind of widely expected to make the playoffs, and I think you know I think yeah. we can both agree probably will make the playoffs. What the defense has done, what Brandon, St- what Brandon Staley's squad has done in that span, especially Jalen Ramsey, I don't know what clicked for him, but in the past eight days, he has absolutely locked down DK Metcalf and Mike Evans. I've gotten on Ramsey a lot where he just did not perform like the $100 million corner that we were paying him to be. But oh my gosh, these past couple of yeah. weeks, he has looked so good. And you, you'll see, I mean, he, they've gone up against two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I think we're at the point now where we can start describing mm-hmm. Russ as, Russell Wilson as that. And he has taken away their lead option both times, and that makes it easier on the rest of the defense. Now, the rest of the defense mm-hmm. um, stepped up as well. What I thought was a really cool story is uh, Jordan Fuller, rookie safety from uh, Ohio State, getting some great minutes. Uh, he had two picks on Brady in uh, the Monday night game. He has really, really, really stepped up when his number has been called. Joel, guess what round and number overall pick Jordan Fuller was taken in this year's draft? Well, I'm going to say maybe 7th round, 199th pick. You were close, 6th round. 6th round. Did you know that? I did not know that. That was that was a guess. Gotcha. So, yeah, 6th round, 199th pick. Same exact pick that Tom Brady was taken at 20 years ago. <laughs> and he goes in there and picks off, like you said, the GOAT twice in that game. He has, he has been phenomenal. Our other corners, Troy Hill and Darius Williams, have both stepped up big. Um, Williams, of course, had a key pick off uh, Russell Wilson. Two key picks, actually, off Russell Wilson yeah. in the Seahawks game. The Rams, on, the Rams look great. Um, I think their defense, just a really strong defense. Again, it did seem, you know, a lot of fans weren't necessarily happy when um, Wade Phillips was let go. Obviously, defensive mastermind, absolute coaching legend was let go. And Brandon Staley, a first-time coordinator, was brought in. But Staley has very, very much proved his worth. Um, the entire defense just looks absolutely fired up out of their minds right now. Guys like Sam- Samson and Bauckham, Leonard Floyd are having career years. Can't say enough about the Rams' defense. And then that makes it easier on the offense, which I expected an offensive rebound. That's a little less of a surprise for me. Yeah. But even still, just seeing like the way Robert Woods and Cooper Cup have stepped up big time. Um, the running attack did not look good. That was the one thing. Yeah. But, but I think Tampa Bay actually deserves a lot of credit for the way they were able to shut down the run. But ultimately, they just couldn't do anything against the pass. And just having Woods and Cup there as two kind of 1A and 1B receivers right there just opens up the field for kind of whatever Goff wants to do. And they just had, they both just had absolutely amazing games. Yeah. Um, they were kind of the co-MVPs of this game for sure on the offensive end. And that just makes a job easier for Jared Goff, which I want to say also had a really good game, especially given that the offensive line is diminished now with Andrew Whitworth hurt. He did a very good job progressing through reads, scrambling when he needed to, running bootlegs when he needed to. 
you know, I've never said that he's a superstar quarterback, but he's our franchise quarterback and he's been playing like one. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I was watching I was watching ESPN last night and Dan Orlovsky was asked, Who do you think the best team in the NFC is? And he gave two teams. He said the Saints and the Rams and he was pressed and said, Hey, you gotta pick a team. You gotta pick one team and he said the Los Angeles Rams. I think that's really telling of the way they've been playing lately and that they are a force to be reckoned with going forward in the NFC West. They're seven and three, they share the same exact record. With the Seattle Seahawks, as you said, they beat them two weeks ago, and they got another matchup looming with them in the future. It's going to say a lot about playoff seeding, but yep. the L.A. Rams right now looking primed. They got a great bounce-back season going on right now, sitting at 7-3 atop the NFC West, which is a tight race. Anything could happen, but if the Rams are able to continue to play sound defense and spread the ball around to those receivers and get the run game going, they're looking very good for the future and winning that NFC West going forward. All right, Joel. You uh, you want to talk about your Chargers now? <laughs> I guess I guess so. It's a new it's a new topic. I know they. Well, the newest topic is that they won. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's Again, something. You know, they beat they beat the mighty New York Jets. That's a huge accomplishment. Listen, Joe Flacco. He's a Super Bowl winner oh, with the Ravens. I I don't know if you guys remember that game where the lights went out against the Niners, but hey. We're, I remember that game. It was a million years ago, and also this is the Jets. Listen, a win's a win's a win. I still have the same complaints about the coaching staff as ever. Um, if you saw the final scoreline, it was 34-28. to 28. Chargers won another one-score game. Great job. Oh, my god. I mean, the Chargers had a big lead. They were up 21 to uh, – no, 24, excuse me. Michael Badgley was able to hit a field goal. They were up 24-6 to six at half. And, uh, well, we got outscored 22-6 to six the rest of the way. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. The Chargers blew a lead in the second half? But we didn't blow it completely is the difference here. We didn't blow it completely here. The bright spots, again, as always, uh, he has seven Rookie of the Week awards is Justin Herbert. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy just quite simply, he slings it. He's got a cannon yeah. for an arm. He's accurate. Most impressive throw of the day was third and ten. Chargers were at the 15-yard line, and Herbert was forced to his his weak side to the left. He's running to his left. Keenan Allen was covered up by a defender, but Allen and him seem to really have good chemistry. Allen just dipped out from behind the defender, and Herbert just rifles a rocket. It almost surprised Allen how fast it came in. He, he didn't catch it with his hands. Uh, that's my one uh, correction yeah. there on Keenan Allen, but I shouldn't be correcting Keenan Allen at all. The guy's been incredible, but... But Justin Herbert rolling to his weak side just zipped a ball right into Keenan Allen for the touchdown that ended up being the, ultimately the difference in the game. But the Chargers were able to do just enough on offense. That defense remains a weakness. Um, they started off strong early. They were able to get a pick six. It was one of the shortest pick six I've ever seen from Tavon yeah. Campbell. He caught the ball at the, the five-yard line a second later. The Chargers have the lead 7-6 after a missed PAT. But, yeah, yeah. the Chargers... The Chargers had the same problems that they have had this entire season in this game. The offense has never really been a sore spot, um, but they were able this time to just barely, just barely, they did enough, and the Jets remained winless. So I guess I guess I'm happy, question mark. You know, <laughs> it, this feels like a very kind of middle of the Phillip Rivers era Chargers team in terms of it just feels like they're if the if that if this one position group stepped up a little more, they would be a serious playoff contender. This year, it's the defense, and I think personally, I think Anthony Lynn is gone after this season, um, and Gus Bradley, hopefully. Yeah, and Gus Bradley, especially Gus Bradley. 
who I don't know why that guy is still employable, given that you know the Jaguars were disgusting under under his uh, coaching leadership. But you know, Justin Herbert is the silver lining of all silver lines for this season, and really now that you have again the franchise quarterback like really as long as i mean just get a competent defense around herbert and the bottom of the afc playoff picture right now i mean obviously i think the chargers are kind of out of it this year yeah um what three and seven yeah three and seven it's not gonna cut it but in the future i mean i don't see i mean obviously the the chiefs have a stranglehold on the division but with three wild card spots down there's no reason why the chargers can't be a playoff team as soon as next year with Justin Herbert looking every bit the franchise quarterback that he does in that situation in, in that situation yeah. there. So bright days ahead probably for the Chargers, but oh my gosh, the the defense and the way like you cannot just trust them to hold a lead every single week and just getting I mean, I live with a ch- couple Chargers fans as you know, Joel, and I feel like every single week they're just kind of resigned to, okay, how are we going to lose how how are we going to painfully lose this time? Right, right. I, I mean, you go through the Broncos game, the Raiders game, you know, it just seems like they've just, they just haven't been able to, like, you just can't trust that defense with the lead, and it's... No lead. Doesn't matter how big. The defense is talented, and so that, that to me, seems to point towards a coaching issue, which means that, yeah, I, I think, I don't think Anthony Lynn is long for this job. Yeah, no, and I it, it helped having Joey Bosa back this week, definitely, and maybe maybe that was the slight difference in the six-point win we were able to pick up. But, yeah, that defense does have talent, as you said. It's not like there's bad people. you got Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa rushing the passer. you got Kaiser White flying around at linebacker. Some key injuries to Drew Tranquil and Derwin James early season obviously doesn't help, but no excuses can be made for blowing such huge leads week in and week out. I remember watching the Miami Dolphins game, which we ultimately, of course, lost by one score. We we were trailing, actually, that game. And I, I was like, hey, we got him right where we want him. Maybe this time we don't have the lead. There's no lead to blow. Maybe we'll we'll come back for the last second win. And and we almost did against the Raiders as well. Last play of the game, touchdown, was called back. But, Gosh. But that Chargers, I mean, the, the heartbreak Chargers fans and that team has gone through is is not deserved. They have the talent and the coaching Needs to go. Gus Bradley can't hold the lead. He plays tentatively. I yeah. mean, you're up 24-3 against Drew Locke. How do you let Drew Locke throw four touchdowns in the second half? I'm still punching the air about it. But it's just <laughs> it's, it's just unacceptable. I mean, Drew Locke, I mean, the guy's throwing turnovers like it's no one's business. So to let the Denver offense go down and score four touchdowns in the second half like it's nothing, it's not talent. You look at the squad the Chargers have, it's not talent. It's coaching. They need a, they need a competent defensive coordinator and they can put it together. And let's be real. I think, you know, you're right in kind of identifying the problem as more of a defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley issue, because I do think Anthony Lynn has uh, proven himself as a strong leader. Uh, I think he is actually a really solid NFL head coach. The problem is he has kind of tied his fate to Gus Bradley as his defensive coordinator, and that that should be enough, I think, to cost him his job, Clearly enough to cost Bradley his job. Again, I I just don't know how you empower Bradley um, based on kind of his track record of the last several years. I think that was a major error, and the Chargers are paying for it. Yeah, someone I'd like to give a shout-out to, actually, is former XFL coach of the LA Wildcats, Pep Hamilton, the quarterback's coach of the Chargers. True. I'd like to give him credit because stepping in week two, 
He said he found out five minutes. Justin Herbert found out five minutes before kickoff he was starting as a debacle with the medical staff as Tyrod Taylor's lung was injected. But having having him ready, having Herbert ready, and the coaching that Pep Hamilton has been able to do has really been wonderful to watch. They've developed a great relationship, and you can see the results week in and week out. It's not easy to come in as a rookie week two without getting starting reps even. Obviously, he has now for the rest of this season, but coming in like that and being able to perform the way he did and almost knocking off Patrick Mahomes, um, that game went to overtime. I, st- I still think about that, but great debut and a great debut season for Justin Herbert, and none of that happens without the excellent coaching and training of Pep Hamilton. So I'd like to give a shout-out to him, and he is a coach that they need to keep around. Yeah, I have a feeling that hopefully on the offensive side, um, they'll be able to keep some of the guys around depending on what happens after the season. Uh, I think uh, you're right. Pep has done an amazing job um, with Herbert this year, and he deserves a lot of credit. If we're going to blame the coaching for uh, the parts where the Chargers haven't stepped up, we need to absolutely credit the coaching for um, the the way that uh, they have stepped up. Of course, their quarterback play is their biggest bright spot this year. Yeah, definitely. And and just a a quick plug real quick, though. I want to step in and say this. Austin Green and I don't root for any of the same teams but one. And that is the former team that Pep Hamilton used to coach and the league, the XFL, that is returning in 2021 thanks to The Rock. And that is the L.A. Wildcats. Austin Green and I have that one team in common. I think it's 2022, actually. And also, I think oh, it's hilarious, really? Joel. Oh, that's right. How we finally settled on the team that we can both root for. And then the entire league goes up in smoke. Exactly. We finally do it, and it just goes to hell. But, you know, hey, it's coming back eventually. It's coming back, ho- hopefully. Uh, ho- knock on wood. So. Um, yeah, seriously. All right. That's about it from us. Um, Joel, where are you most looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving week? What, what's your uh, What's your go to Thanksgiving dish? Yeah, my go to Thanksgiving dish um, is my mom makes a delicious cream corn. I don't Ooh. even know how she makes it, but she puts this corn in this delicious sweet cream. I'm sure it adds a ton of sugar to it. Um, <laughs> it's just an It's just an amazing dish, and um, I'm actually in Utah right now. I'm not with my parents for Thanksgiving, so I'm not gonna get to have that. But looking forward to some gravy and some turkey and just some. Some good times with uh with the family and yeah it's gonna be a fun time. Um, what are you looking forward to, Austin? What what's Mama Green's favorite dish she cooks up for you? Um, my mom makes a mean cranberry sauce. It's almost like a relish with um with uh cranberry and oranges, and it is it is just it's the type of thing where we have just piles and piles of leftovers um got jars of it in our fridge for weeks and weeks after so it's always just it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving it is absolutely delicious so that's what i'm looking forward to that's about it from us have a happy thanksgiving everyone and we will see you next week